Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Ladies and gentlemen, storytellers of all ages, lend your ears to co-hosts Brad and Philip as we delve into the Marketing Your Attraction podcast. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to episode eight of Marketing Your Attraction. I'm Philip, and I'm joined today by my wonderful co-host, Brad. Brad, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm so excited to be back with you for episode eight. We have a great episode planned. I'm excited to dive into the main topic. But first, why don't we start with news? Yeah, I came across this great article from DigiDay talking about the Hearst Magazine Company. They're actually more of like Hearst Media Company. They've been around for, I believe almost 100 years, if not over 100 years, and they've migrated from newspapers to magazines. They've uh, really spent the last five to 10 years figuring out their strategy, the ever-evolving strategy for the digital world, just like all of us have. And it was really interesting, this article, it's titled, Once Focused on Scale, Hearst is Cutting Back on Aggregation and Viral Fluff. And what the article describes is how previously, they were really looking at quantity over quality of articles. So they would take different Twitter trends, different you know, other social media trends, and create really small bite-sized stories that were of the moment without much original reporting. Just in the last year or so, they've doubled down again on original reporting. And this statistic, this gave me hope for humanity and the internet and, and quality content. <laughs> the, the, one of the top editors there said, 24 of the top 50 articles in February had original research or reporting. And this is across brands, including, you know, Delish, which is one of their more viral uh, food websites. They also have town and country, everything from lifestyle to sports. And, and so overall, they're really looking at focusing on that original reporting and creating content that sticks, not just, hey, look, there's, you know, hashtag national hot dog day or something. Mm -hmm. They still have a mix of that content, but they're looking at doing bigger stories and not just text, but also videos that have original reporting in them. And they're seeing success, which is really great. So my biggest takeaway from this article was that great, great content, great quality content is working and it works for brands. And it's a great reminder for all of us that yes, sometimes you need that fluffy filler content but you really need to take a step back and plan that quality evergreen content that is going to, to show up in search results years later is going to generate conversation on social and can be re reused you know, more than once and also really represents your brand in a way that you want to. What do you think about the article, Philip? And what, what's sort of your philosophy on content? Yeah, well, it gives me a lot of hope because... Um, um, I've been following Hearst for a while because they're um, kind of in in the content marketing space uh, pretty heavily. You know, they um, they they do they do so much work with uh, brands um, and with uh, having their own content platforms. So they have a really good uh, a great portfolio here um, to work with. It is critical. I mean, in here they're not saying they're completely ignoring that fascinating content, right? I mean, they're they're saying that um, 
five years ago, the priority was getting its portfolio of print magazines, including Cosmopolitan, Esquire to work and produce more content faster. To that end, it created a centralized new desk, news desk under Lewis. The company also ramped up sharing across titles and created contributor networks. The strategy worked from the beginning of 2014. Um, traffic nearly tripled to 91 million monthly unique visitors, according to Comscore. It, it's about it's like finding that balance, but I think that we're, we're seeing, I mean, really the want to create those uh, unique pieces, not just kind of the rehashing. And I mean, we'll get into it later with the main topic in terms of why some of that might be it. But I, I like that they are investing more into uh, long form original pieces of content that they know that their readers will enjoy and identify with and really be able to find value in um, as opposed to you know, kind of like rehashing um, other content. So I, I like that as a trend and I'm glad they're, uh, they're kind of reporting on this. Exactly. I 100% agree with you. Another news story that I came across this week was uh, Disney Parks, both Disneyland, the Disneyland Resort, and the Walt Disney World Resort announced an all-new Play Disney Parks app that's coming uh, later this summer. They didn't give a ton of details on it, but from what I can gather, the app is going to bring gamification to the already existing Disney Parks app. So instead of just using the apps for wait times, wayfinding, finding out information about restaurants and attractions, you're going to be able to play different games, earn points. I, I think there's a, a much bigger story here that they'll probably slowly be rolling out over the next few months. But it's interesting to see Disney getting into the gamification world of content. They know they have a captive audience there. Uh, so it's interesting to see what, what Disney is going to do. Did you have a chance to check out the story? Yeah, I did. Um, there are hardly any details. So it's one of those kind of like up in the air kind of things. Um, but I like the the concept. I think too many times we get pigeonholed into thinking one way about our experiences. You know, we're, we're like, you know, oh, the experiences, I want to be able to um, go to this attraction and go to that and, and food and this and that. But I think uh, there's so many other dimensions, especially now with uh, social, you know, um, do you want to be able to engage with the IP outside of the park, you know, and, and go there to uh, achieve something different? You know, are you looking for photos? Um, we talked about generational uh, expectancies last time, you know, different generations have different uh, wants um, and needs and worldviews that you're trying to accommodate for. And I, I like this because it, it if they do indeed go into that vein, uh, basically providing an additional platform uh, for, for guests to experience the park, even from their phone um, through like, you know, in all those, those wait to kind of like accentuate uh, those dead uh, times in the park. I think that's a really good, uh, another dimension to be looking at this at. So hopefully that's what it is. And hopefully like, um, um, it's, it's, you know, it's good. <laughs> I mean, it seems pretty easy where you're like, Oh, you could just do a pretty easy, like, uh, you know, Disney, uh, trivia flip, um, game, you know, uh, that you can play with your friends, but you know, I guess we'll see. And I would imagine at Disneyland and even at Walt Disney world, it'll primarily be annual pass holders too. And so they're already, they already love the brand. They already love the park. So if you can, if you can connect with them through an app, whether it's earning badges, which is what the Cedar fair uh, game did so you you know you could play mini games inside of it but really it was earning badges so hey i'm the number one person that has ridden this roller coaster the most and then mm -hmm. rewarding that with prizes but just looking at it from uh from the user standpoint i think it's really interesting the, the hard part though is can the can a theme park company create a great app and of course disney has a whole interactive side to it as well 
Mm-hmm. You're not just competing against other theme park apps or other theme parks at that point. You're competing against the entire app store. Yes. Yeah. That's something I always tell people is, is like, uh, cause we, we, we went through this whole thing too, um, with some of the projects I've worked on, like multiple projects where everyone's like, well, let's make an app for that. And I'm like, you do realize that the vast, the overwhelming majority of uh, smartphone users, which is everyone, um, don't ever download anything new. Like they never actually use the app store. You know, they, they just, they just use what's on the phone. And like, then at that point you're competing with, um, Facebook messenger and you're competing with like bots, you know, and you're competing with ways that people can find to use the apps that they currently know how to use. So there's so many, like there's so many, um, barriers to this. The the one thing I do think makes this very different besides, um, you know, like the money and, and the IP, all those things, I think, I think for me, it's not really that, um, cause I, I use, um, I use their current app. Like it's one of the only apps I have downloaded on my phone. And I would say I use it for me because it's absolutely essential. Um, like when I'm at um, Walt Disney World, um, it's like essential for me to use to, to use it. And that's because, you know, it's a different platform there. You can, um, as long as you have any ticket at all, you can set up um, your fast passes ahead of time up to, I think it's 90 days ahead of time. Um, and you don't have to be in the park to do it and, uh, you can put your dining and all that. So it's absolutely essential for me. Like it's, it really is because for me, it's like, well, you know, I want to set this, you know, make this plan up before I, uh, before I even get there, um, and be able to have all this figured out. So I think what, what kind of is the differentiator here is that they made the app. I mean, you can still go to Disneyland and Disney world and still have like an okay time. Um, but in order to really understand everything you can do and make your day to kind of make sure you hit everything you want to do, um, you almost have to use the app. Um, you know, it's very efficient if you try to do it like via paper or via something else, they just, you know, they've created the most useful tool for managing your family's vacation while you're there at the park. And I think, every all of this all of this stuff is just secondary to that right now they're just trying to get you to use it more like like messenger <laughs> you know messenger is like uh you know now you're going to be able to buy tickets and stuff uh through messenger um so you don't ever have to leave messenger you know um but it had to start as the most useful um the chat function that existed you know to get people to find use in it originally yeah no exactly yeah i can't wait to see how this evolves it'll be something i'm sure we'll be talking about later this summer on the show as we get more details on it exactly what this will be as we're able to test it out a little bit but uh something to definitely something to keep an eye on and and even if you can't do a full app for your attraction and for most attractions i recommend you don't do a full app because it's a lot of money Mm -hmm. as philip mentioned it's hard to get people to download your app unless you're a really big attraction and you're able to offer something like wait times only on the app or mobile food ordering only on the app. You have to really incentivize people to download it. But I think there's a lot of, even if you don't do it through an app, you can do gamification through a website. And there's probably a lot of ideas and best practices that other attractions and other com- just other companies and industries will be able to, to learn from how, uh, how Disney implements this and how successful it is. So moving on from the news, I know you have a great uh, campaign example that you wanted to show. This one is from uh, Google. Tell us about it. This is so cool. I think it's cool. Um, So for those of you that are not familiar, um, I'm sure everyone is, but um, Google owns all of our lives. No, separate from that. They they have... uh, 
if you ever wondered kind of how they, they make their maps and everything come true, it's through these things called local guides um, and their contributors section. Uh, so basically, um, if you can um, upload pictures of locations and, and rate everyone, review people and, and correct, um, help correct um, all this information so that it's, it's available on Google. Um, so a lot of people are very serious about this. Uh, you can become what's called a local guide, uh, which is really just, you know, you sign up to, um, to help uh, gather information for specific uh, stuff that's missing in maps and uh, to take pictures. So some examples is like, I'm a local guide. And so whenever someone posts a question about Knott's Berry Farm on their um, Google, like I get a notification on my phone <laughs> and it's like, someone has a question about Knott's Berry Farm. Uh, do you have an answer? And I'm usually like, ah, oh, their team has it. Um, or if it's a different location, a restaurant or something like that, um, then uh, you, know, you get those notifications and I can upload photos of uh, locations and all this stuff. So, that's something separate. What I really like about what they're doing now is this awesome thing I just I just uh, got in my email, which is uh, apply to connect with local guides live in San Francisco. Get ready for a new kind of local guides event. Connect live. This October, Google will host our most passionate creators for a chance to give feedback and get tips on topics like taking amazing photos, helping people with accessibility needs, and sharing discoveries. All local guides level five or higher are welcome to apply. You'll need to be comfortable speaking English and must include a short video about yourself. Uh, three tips for your video. Speak to the camera and tell us why you guide others. Say what you love to contribute on Google Maps and keep it about one minute. Learn more on the connect form and then apply to join. Um, travel expenses are covered. So I really, really like this because... Um, you know, essentially they need all this information, right? And they get everyone that's outsourcing them. But now what they're doing is they're taking these uh, guys because you can level up. The more that you contribute, you can earn badges and level up. Um, so they're taking these high level, like they're super fans and they're rewarding them with a an in-person event to kind of make them more passionate and give them training to help kind of to help them do a bunch of more free work for Google <laughs> to make like Google stuff better. So, um, uh, I, I absolutely love this as an idea to do it. Um, I'm really curious about how many they're going to select and, uh, what travel expenses are covered and like kind of how this whole thing will end up shaking out. Um, you know, it's kind of like you see the campaign and like, what's the reality of it? Um, you know, like how many people are they talking? What kind of classes, you know, but I really like this and I really like that there's a bar you know, they're like all guides level five or higher. Um, so they're even putting a bar on it where they're just like, Hey, you know, we, you, we know, you know, all, a lot of you, we rely on you guys to submit content to get higher levels, but you have to be this level or higher, um, even to apply for this. So I, I really like that as well. Um, so that's my example. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's a great example. And, uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, surveys and, and encouraging, your your fans or your followers, you know, however you want to describe them, your guests, to give you feedback, to help create user-generated content for you. You know, if you have the budget to be able to fly people out, that's amazing. But if you're a local attraction, you know, a lot of times you can just ask people for their opinion. And for the most part, people love to give their opinion. We do email surveys all the time. Uh, but I think this is a great way for Google to reward some of their their best local guides and also i bet they're going to get way more feedback in person than they would ever be able to get through you know online survey form or even an online video chat 
I think that's a uh, just a great idea. And focus groups are still so important, even though we have email and social media and social listening in so many different ways to be able to figure out people's opinions. Getting fans, getting guests, getting customers inside a room and just asking their opinion and having them be able to share with one another and also with you and other people from your attraction is very valuable because uh, I, I think it just even goes beyond a survey, just seeing people's mannerisms, what they bring up, how long they talk about different topics, how one conversation can bring up another idea. We still use focus groups a lot. I know all of the major parks, everyone from you know, Disney to Universal to SeaWorld, they have full survey teams that do in-person surveys. And so this is just a great reminder to uh, how important feedback is. And uh, yeah, but I wish I could be a fly on the wall. Are, are, you a, uh, are you a level five or higher local guide? Are you going to be applying for this, Philip? I am going to be applying. Uh, I'm level seven right now. Oh, um, awesome. And the main thing that I've been chasing has been this like uh, photography uh, section of it, um, which actually initially like astonished me with how difficult it was. <laughs> it was like, um, like I think I have, uh, cause it will tell me, I have all my stats here, you know, I have 926 photos um, in use by Google right now. Um, and I have um, like almost a, well, so even to get like this, this lower level qualification, you have to have like a hundred thousand impressions on your photos alone. And <laughs> it's wow. just like, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's a little crazy. Like I'm almost at uh, 200,000 impressions right now with my photos, but it's like, you know, when you think about that, you're like, well, that's, um, you know, it's, it's almost like kind of what we're trying to do even as marketers where we're trying to figure out, you know, the most useful photos that someone would need uh, for a location. And then we're trying to like put that in there so that those photos get ranked higher so that we get higher impressions. Um, it's just, you know, it's, I, I originally started doing it because I thought it was so interesting, you know, because there's so many places that don't, um, when I travel around, there's so many places that just don't have the basic information up. And when you think about it in reverse, when you're on Google and you're looking, you're trying to figure out if you want to go to this place, you know, you want to know, sometimes you want to know like what the, just what it looks like inside. You know, if I'm trying to go, if I'm like, well, I need to go work at this coffee shop. I want to know if there's places to work in the coffee shop and what it looks like inside. Um, and what, you know, how to be able to recognize it from the road and uh, kind of what the menu items look like and whether or not they're homemade or what kind of coffee they make. Like, um, so a lot of the places won't have photos that even explain that or their websites aren't uh, equipped. So that's kind of where the Google guides come in to kind of make sure you fully understand location. Um, yeah, I actually, some of my most popular photos are from knots. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, <laughs> yeah. good luck. Hopefully when you, uh, hopefully you'll, you'll uh, be accepted into the program and can report back to us on the show about it. But that's impressive. 200,000 impressions and level seven guide. That's uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's, it's fun. And, 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 and I fully, fully admit and recognize that I'm just playing into the whole like uh, pyramid scheme here where I'm like doing a bunch of um, labor for them <laughs> just so that I can get like points that don't mean anything. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you're enjoying it though, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> the, yeah. the magic of social media and, and the magic of the internet, right? The yeah. free, free labor sometimes. Free labor. Speaking of the internet and social media, that's sort of our main topic. Do you want to present this and give a little bit of background on, on our main topic for this week? Yes. So our main topic this week is uh, trends in the social landscape. And this 
is taken from a class that I did um, this past weekend up in Portland um, there. And I'm really excited because, you know, I, I pitched this class a lot <laughs> and uh, um, not that many people choose it. So I was very excited that they, uh, they chose this class to have me present it. Um, and I did, um, and every time I put together, you know, I, it, it takes me a while to do all the research and get everything put together and really like uh, narrow it down. But in essence, what I did was I presented um, just a few of kind of the major trends that I was seeing um, in social, but also in marketing um, in the wider context. And then we really just discussed um, the impact that those trends might have on attractions and on um, what these guys would be doing. So um, we can go through those trends. And also for those of you that are on our email list, I'm going to be attaching uh, the PDF from the PowerPoint from the class um, to our email list for our email subscribers. Um, but I, I tried to stick to as little as possible that I thought were really the big topics. And something that I kind of prefaced with when I started the class was that um, I don't necessarily have answers to what a lot of this is gonna, is gonna end up meaning or, or doing. I only have right now kind of opinions and, and where I believe that it's, gonna, it's going to go and what you should be doing as a reaction. But some of these things I don't have really answers for. Um, so the first thing I want to bring up is something we've already talked about. So we might be able to skip over part of this, but first one I brought up was the Facebook, Facebook newsfeed crisis. And the quote I put in here was from Mark Zuckerberg when uh, he said, I'm changing the goal I give our product teams from focusing on helping you find relevant content to helping you have more meaningful social interactions. And we, we went over this kind of ad nauseum, I think, um, in a previous episode about um, this switch and, uh, you know, Brad's take on um, that there's a lot of stuff that we can do with our attractions to facilitate meaningful social interactions. Um, so I don't think we need to go over that, but did you want to add anything to that, Brad? Um, no, I think if they want to check out, that was our March 4th episode, I believe, titled Don't Build Your House on Rented Lands. And I think we spent a good 20 minutes talking about uh, that topic. Awesome. So next trend is the audience as an asset. And I put in a quote here, um, building up a dedicated, engaged audience is all about thinking long-term and thinking strategically. In time, you'll find that building your audience becomes your most valuable marketing investment. And we also touched on this, um, especially when we danced around uh, the, the concept of content marketing. Um, and uh, this is something you know, that I, I believe in, uh, that I, we practice at Gantum uh, quite heavily, um, even though many would argue that we don't need to worry about uh, something like this for our size of company. <laughs> this is more like a very large worry. But um, I, I really think no matter what you're doing, you should just be keeping in mind that First of all, our job as marketers is to create markets. It's not to uh, create content. It's actually to create markets. And uh, don't forget that because in our daily lives, we get very bogged down by all the requests we get from everyone about everything they need. <laughs> they quote unquote need in order to do the thing they're trying to do. Um, but we have to understand that our job ultimately is to facilitate the creation of markets. And it's really what the market needs. Um, and, a, and really what I want us to be thinking of is thinking of building your audience as an asset and investing in the creation of an owned relationship with them. And in the class, I made a big deal of, of qualifying this because I did get the natural question in the class, which was like, you know, well, isn't, you know, you know, paying or, you know, 
putting your stuff on Facebook or paying them or anything, you know, isn't that just giving you an audience? And I, what I really meant by this was an addressable audience, an addressable audience, meaning, um, an audience that is both receptive, um, and kind of looking forward to hearing from you, you know, that, that they're not just receptive, but that they're addressable and they have, um, the income and, 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 or whatever you need them to have. Um, so they're really those, those people that, that look forward to hearing from you and that, uh, are going to take action, um, as an addressable audience. So, yeah, that's such a great point and, and such a great reminder. I was having a meeting earlier this week with a, uh, with an ad agency that, um, I was having a meeting earlier this week with an ad agency that, uh, that's helping us do some work, um, at the park. And, and one of the, one of the things that they mentioned that I think I, I knew, but I've never heard it described in such a great way is they said, you know what, for this campaign, let's look at it as not a cost per click, not a, how much revenue did we make from it? But with this campaign, let's look at cost per acquisition, but look, let's look at that over six to eight months. So we're doing a campaign right now where we're looking to build up our email list for people out of, um, out of our, the LA DMA, out of the, the local area. And instead of looking at it as a, Hey, let's try to sell, let's just try to sell tickets and season passes or whatever to these people, hotel packages. Let's educate them about the brand. Let's make sure that they're interested in it long-term. Let's do an email nurturing program. And I think that's a, um, you know, like you mentioned, that's a strategy that usually, you know, bigger brands and, and operators are, are able to, uh, to think about. But I think if you, once you get over the, the short-term strategy of like, okay, I need to sell tickets, I need to sell tickets, that you're able to take a step back and think about that longer-term strategy of, okay, how do I make this person a customer, a lifetime customer, at least a, a more than one-time customer? You can start to take that strategy and implement it into all the different tactics that you're doing, whether it's a, uh, you know, email reminders, whether it's uh, content marketing, like, like you mentioned, which can be part of that email nurturing. There's just so many ways to educate someone about your brand, make them fall in love with it, connect with them, instead of always selling like Groupon sales of, Hey, for just nine ninety nine, if you buy right now, 50% off, like that's not really a, that's, that's just a transaction. That's not a yes. loyal customer. That's not an audience that you're building. Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a great reminder. And uh, yeah. I think it's a trend that's exactly. Yeah. And it, that's a trend that uh, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm hoping in the next few years, you're going to see, every company talking about this more and more and more, not just luxury companies. Uh, Cause I feel like the high end, they talk about this a lot because they're able to have fewer customers and, and be able to focus on that more. Mm -hmm. But every business, no matter what industry you're in, no matter the price of your product, you can, you can take advantage of, of building of that strategy of building an audience and instead of always just trying to sell, sell, sell and trying to get a dollar out of people really look at it from that longer term vantage point. What yeah. was the, uh, what was the next trend that you talked about in the presentation? Next trend, um, is it's, it's related. Um, right before we go on, I'm just want to give a very quick example. Cause I think we've spent some time in theory land. I want to like bring it home uh, very briefly. 
That would be um, great. With what uh, Gantam does specifically, because this is kind of my my job. <laughs> um, so we. Um, so, you know, we have our, our various email lists, but I don't really count those as addressable audiences, right? Because um, the number of people that actually open the campaigns, you know, it's a, it's a lower percentage, obviously, than the whole list. Um, but what I want to do is take those people who are very, very actively engaged, and I want to move them over to... Um, I have a few steps I want to move them down, but let me back it up. So, uh, you know, we have our larger content platforms. So all the podcasts, um, even this podcast is... Um, a lot of content we syndicate, there's our social, there's all that. Then we pull them from that down. I'd say the next phase would be our weekly emails. And then for Gantum, we have like brand emails and uh, product information, right? And then so what I want to do is move them from there to um, uh, ideally to the print publication, um, especially for the the network brand, because that print publication requires a much larger investment in it. Um, and it's also the physical address of the person. <laughs> so it's, it's much more, um, and it's a phone number. So it's much more personal than the email. Um, you know, and I've called people from that list before just to kind of talk to them and see who they are. So from there, I actually want to move people from that are reading that content and our top kind of uh, email responders and move them over to our in-person event, which happens uh, once a year, which was last year hosted by knots. So that's, and I think those people that show up, um, that, that pay to come and interact with us, uh, those are my addressable audience. So it's kind of like me, my job is really just to do what I can to grow those people, um, to, to, to make, get more and more people that are coming to engage with us in person that are like putting that investment in, um, to come, to come in. And of course we're giving them value, uh, like exponential value kind of at every stage of the journey. Um, but we have a very direct plan in that how we're trying to get them um, to that end action. So that's, that's a great example. I'm, I'm glad you, glad you took the time to take us through that because that's such a, such a clear, great example. And, and I, and I know it's, it's taken a couple of years to, you know, figure out how you want to move the audiences, but you've waited until you had all the components in place, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> definitely don't start doing everything at once. Uh, so uh, the next trend um, is the trust crisis. And there are a lot of dimensions to this. Um, I put a chart in the PowerPoint and I put a link here that y'all can see that specifically deals with the marketing trust. Um, but I w this is a wider problem. It's not just marketing. Um, we all feel it, but it's, it's kind of like a trust in for everything is at an all time low. I mean, trust in news, trust in government, trust in um, kind of everything. It, so it, don't, don't think I, I put the marketing one in here cause I want to talk about the marketing one, but it's, it's really not limited to that. Um, and the trust crisis is an opportunity for brands uh, because if you have your addressable audience and you uh, continually add value to their lives and do things that are of value to them and don't manipulate them, <laughs> then um, you really can build trust with them in a way that other people can't. I mean, um, you know, not even like mainstream brands, journalism, um, you know, news, like none of these people have high trust right now. So it's a good opportunity for us to kind of fill that void um, if we wanted to. But I want to pull out some things here specifically um, from the Forrester research on marketing, trust for marketing. And I re this really puts it in perspective for everyone. Um, 
So up here, it's uh, to what extent do you trust each of the following types of advertising or promotion? Um, and in the U.S., uh, brand or product recommendations from fam or fa for friends or family are at 70%. That is the highest. And let me just like compare that to um, posts by companies or brands on social networking sites, i.e. Facebook or Twitter, 15%. <laughs> So, um, so not even, it's like 1.5, um, people in 10, right. Uh, will even trust something that is on uh, Facebook or Twitter from your company. Um, <clears throat> emails from your company or brand is only 18%. Information on mobile applications is at 12%. We were just talking about apps. So like, um, ads on websites. I mean, we, we've all known that, um, Banners have been dead forever, but this kind of should solidify it for you. Uh, only 10% of uh, U.S. consumers trust um, ads on websites. And then uh, text messages from companies or brands are under that at 9%. Um, other things here that are kind of scary, um, professionally written online reviews, e.g. CNET, Consumer Reports, um, only at 55%. That was a little surprising to me. Um, Consumer written online reviews on Amazon only being at 46%. Um, so, uh, so natural search engine results only being at 43%. And what I loved about this one is that these are things that we, we kind of were thought were still working. And we thought that if you get a bunch of reviews on your, on your stuff, you know, it does help. And it, it's not that this doesn't help. It's just that about only half people believe them um, <clears throat> and natural search results. And I did a awesome test in the class where actually I asked everyone, I was like, well, when you Google, you know, do you trust what comes up even the non-ad stuff? And again, it, it was about match these percentages. You know, we had a, people in the class that said that same thing that when they Google stuff, um, even the stuff that comes up on the front page after the ads, they're still kind of wary of the, the stuff that comes up, you know, and they, they really just take an aggregate of like the, the top unpaid three to five responses. Um, so, uh, it's, it's pretty bad. Um, you know, it's, it's very bad on all this. Um, so <clears throat> this is a big uh, trend right now. And I think it, it ties into what we've been talking about, um, in terms of what's really important and even ties back into the Facebook, um, newsfeed crisis because, you know, Facebook isn't dumb. When, when we say that one of the only things that people trust is recommendations from their immediate friends and family, well, <laughs> Coincidentally, you know, what are they going to be seeing now when they go on to social and on Facebook um, with the retooled algorithm? It's going to be stuff that causes interaction, right? Instead of surfacing information and um, recommendations and discussions about brands from your friends is something that's going to cause an interaction. So, um, <clears throat> so I think this is good. It's a good opportunity because it, it really solidifies the concept that uh, everybody, everybody is an influencer now um, because nobody really trusts anything else other than, so, you know, kind of your job is, is our job uh, definitely has changed in that we kind of have to um, think of the influencer bar is much lower, but uh, what did yeah. you think, Brad? This is a great report. Uh, I believe, I believe it's a couple years old. I wonder if they have, um, it has great information, but uh, the one thing I was wondering is uh, if Forrester Research has done a, uh, a more recent one that mentioned social, influencers and, and how they rank on, on this. Uh, I, I think, I think it's a, there's a ton of great information in this report and um, yeah, I, I'm actually kind of happy uh, with the results, you know, although, uh, al although, you know, it'd be nice if everyone trusted ads on websites, 
mm-hmm. it's, it's good that people are skeptical out there, you know, that they're not just uh, clicking on everything. It makes advertisers and marketers like us work a little bit harder. It was amazing to, uh, to see these stats. And what was also really interesting, I'm not sure if you touched on it, was the report mentions that Europeans across the board trust all advertising communications less than yeah. Americans, according <laughs> to this survey. And what usually happens, and I know in previous episodes we've talked about the some of the new regulations that uh, the Euro- European Union is uh, is implementing. Usually, those trickle down. So I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if if you charted the the trust levels of Americans and Europeans if they follow very closely. So if, you know, Europeans right now are around ten to fifteen percent less on the, on each of these trusting each of one of, you know, whether it's product recommendations from friends and family with they, which they only trust 61% of the time compared to 70% for the U S I, I wouldn't be surprised if the, the U S and Americans continue to, to follow that trend. And so in just a couple of years now, they're at the same level as the Europeans it, it typically with privacy, uh, the, the EU and, and all of Europe is more, um, in tune to a lot of those privacy laws and mm-hmm. the dangers of the internet. And then the U S catch, catches up after a couple of years and begins to implement that same, same thing. And <laughs> I mean, Europeans were talking about Facebook being a huge problem yep. years ago. And yep. I feel like the, the most of the public is now just starting to talk about it with uh, some of the new stories that have come out earlier this year. But yeah, really great. I, I definitely urge our audience to check out that link. Do some Google searching as well to see what other research you can find. It, it's really interesting, and it, it might help uh, might help you think about your content strategy too. So I think you have you have one or one or two more trends you wanted to talk about. What's yeah, let's let's uh, breeze through these pretty quickly. Um, so the next one is Facebook Messenger and bots in general. So these are actually two separate trends, Facebook Messenger and bots, but I put them together just because um, bots are really taking over Facebook Messenger. But I want to make it clear that bots and Messenger are actually separate trends. Um, I put the stat I put in here um, that Facebook Messenger as of December 2017 had 1.3 billion monthly active users. Um, we're starting to get into this awkward territory where um, that is actually more than every other social platform combined. So, so it's like, it's like Facebook, um, you know, it's still kind of the king of uh, social platforms, but then uh, their Instagram is also high up there, right, which they run. But then um, Facebook Messenger as, as a whole separate uh, platform does, ha- uh, does have uh, more monthly um, active monthly users than all of Instagram and Snapchat and, and all those kind of other smaller platforms together. So, um, that's, uh, seems like that, that is only going up. I mean, just in the time we've been charting it, they, I mean, they went up like, you know, from point in, I think in one quarter, they almost went up, um, uh, like 0.2 billion. I mean, they, so it's, it's in, still increasing pretty rapidly. Um, like it's increasing much more rapidly than any other, um, platform is picking up users. It's just that I think people don't talk about it as much for some reason. Um, so I don't really know why I think maybe it's cause, um, they're still pretending to not like, I think maybe Facebook messenger is still pretending to not be a social platform. Um, and that's why people aren't talking about it, but it is. And now you can advertise people directly through it. Um, and, um, it uh, also has a lot of bots in it. So 
Um, the next stat I wanted to pull up here is uh, by 2020, over 80% of businesses are expected to have some sort of chatbot automation implemented. That's a lot. And that's not far away. I mean, that's like two years away is 80% <laughs> of businesses um, will be using chatbot automation. Um, I actually don't even disagree with that because um, chatbots are uh, basically plug and play already. And I think they're just going to uh, get more sophisticated. And especially now that uh, Messenger is rolling out this uh, whole payment system within the app. I mean, you know, why, why can't you just, um, you know, open up your chat and chat knots and ask knots, are you open today? And the knot spot is like, oh yeah, howdy, we're open today. And then they're like, oh, can I buy a ticket? Yeah, here's a ticket. And you just buy it in Messenger. Um, you know, that's, you know, kind of like, why not? Um, a lot of the larger brands have already been playing around with um, you being able to have your entire communication with a robot <laughs> inside of Messenger. So you don't ever even need to kind of leave Messenger. Um, so this is a, I, you know, again, I don't really have too many answers, but this is just one of those trends that uh, I've noticed that I think is going to have an enormous impact um, on the, the way in which we're communicating. Um, and yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it's good news too. I mean, we, we've been looking at this a lot at the park and uh, we've implemented uh, pieces here and there of, of figuring out how do we, how do you have a chatbot that is automated, but still gives that human touch. Cause a lot of times when, a guest is going on to Facebook Messenger. They usually have a guest concern or they have a question that they, you know, they basically want to talk to a real person. So how do we balance the automation with that human touch? So we've been playing around with different software, uh, but as you mentioned, becoming much more plug and play. Uh, I know Sprout Social, which is one of the social mm -hmm. platforms that we use, is rolling out a whole uh, chatbot automation creation uh, platform. I, I think it'll be really positive for uh, bigger attractions and also smaller attractions, uh, maybe especially smaller attractions and smaller businesses, because it's really hard to have great phone support. It's mm -hmm. hard to have great in-person support. So if you can move more and more of your customer support over to Facebook Messenger, you're going to have more data about it. You're going to hopefully be able to use less staff and deliver a better customer service uh, experience. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, yeah. Plus the reality, which I, you know, kind of brought up, um, is that I, I see this kind of like, this is one of my jobs at Cantum is just to figure out like, um, kind of remove all the barriers, you know, and make it as easy as possible for all those low level barriers. And really there's no reason some of these things shouldn't be automated. I think that's what we're realizing. Some of these things like, you know, um, we, we've kind of done this even at Cantum. You know, I've asked everyone to write down the the things they get asked most in the day or the tasks they do most in a day. Um, and I do that on my end. And and it's it's pretty typical. You know, I can tell you the top 10 questions off the top of my head that somebody asks me at a trade show, <laughs> you know. And so, you know, um, can't all that just be put into a bot? You know, that, that becomes a question. Um, if those are all the common common questions and you've already put them on your website and you've already made videos about them um, and people still want to kind of, you know, they people are lazy, right? They don't, sometimes they don't want to go to your website and find the information for themselves. They just want to go to one spot and they want to ask what that information they want you to give them the information. So, um, that can be done via bot. There's no reason it can't be. So I think that's one of the main driving forces of this. Exactly. Yeah. And then, and then the final trend, which is, this is quite a, quite a big trend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the final trend I put on here is the mass market is dying. Um, so this, uh, I really think we've already covered this in, 
in, in, in aspects of not only other episodes of the show, but other of these trends, you know, um, why, why is it that people that Facebook, which is the largest way, the, the largest social platform, why are they moving over social interactions? Right. It's because, um, it's because mass market is dying is because people are less concerned, um, with this idea of, of everything. Everyone has their own, um, their own set of <clears throat> worldviews and their own, uh, things that they want. And, um, you know, when, when you're really investing in creating this audience, addressable audience as an asset, you know, you're, you're not looking at, at mass market things and then even bringing in the trust into it, you know, you're not, um, people don't even trust any of any of the mass market items on here. You know, they, they trust what uh, friends and family say, and then, um, really what they've experienced. So, so really, um, it's kind of a culmination of all these things, but the, the overarching theme is that mass market is dying. Uh, we even talked about it, uh, even last episode with demographics, you know, how demographics are changing and how, you know, are you planning for these demographics? I mean, this is, this is what, you know, we're seeing the pendulum swing the other way. Uh, one of the students in the class mentioned that too. And I think that's a great way of looking at it. You know, um, previously you, um, you were able to, it's kind of like you, you had credibility and you, you had um, a lot of these uh, things automatically if you were, if you had a brick and mortar store, you know, because it, it there were high barriers to entry. You know, if you were a manufacturer, um, just being, you know, just having the product, you know, just being able to produce it and deliver it to a person um, was a pretty high barrier because there's a lot of uh, complications and infrastructure was hard. And, um, you know, in the early days of the web, you know, having all this stuff figured out online, you know, that was a big hurdle. Having a really nice, good, easy website, you know, that had all this, these uh, point of purchase and all this information that was beautiful. That was, that was hard. You know, all these things were difficult. And now, you know, you could realistically, and I brought this example into the class too, um, someone could set up an escape room. They could, you know, do a short-term lease in an office building, um, build a quote-unquote escape room, put up a website, um, and get a ticketing platform together in a, in a week or less, it'd probably take you just one day to do all of the marketing assets. And you could, um, you know, hire out, um, a team to come up with the collateral and everything and just write the copy and put it in and then, you know, be, be open, like be ready, you know, uh, something that would have taken us much longer. Um, I think all these are kind of contributing to this overarching trend of, uh, the death of mass marketing. <clears throat> Yeah, it's it's amazing how quickly the world has changed, and uh, and you know for for better or worse, uh, whether you agree with the changes or not, the world is different, and you have to adapt to it. And I think for the attraction industry, as we mentioned in the last episode, these are really positive changes. You know, you're able to be more nimble. You're able to uh, you're able to try out and experiment with more. Uh, you know, you're able to try out and experiment different marketing ideas, different attraction ideas. It doesn't take months, years to, to get up and running, like you mentioned, uh, which, which is great. It's, it really helps uh, democratize the entire industry. Yeah, well, that's it. Those are um, the trends from my presentation. Um, again, anyone on the uh, email list, uh, I'll email these all out to you. And you're welcome to send over any questions or uh, let us know what you think about them. Um, via email as well. Perfect. And where can they find out more about the show and sign up for that email list? www.marketingyourattraction.com. 
marketingyourattraction.com. You can go there, sign up, um, get an email from uh, Brad and I every week uh, with our contact information in it and um, extended notes for the podcast and little treats like this uh, PowerPoint presentation. Yeah, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show or you didn't, please leave us feedback. Either you can email us directly, go to iTunes or your favorite podcast player, leave a review. We would really appreciate it. We would love to know what other types of topics you're thinking about, trends that you're seeing that you would like us to discuss on the show. So until next week, have an incredible week and thank you for listening to the Marketing Your Attraction podcast. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.